0: This is the special newsy-paloozy capsule of stories about creepy crawlies. Yikes! Over here! Hey, 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 listen up! No, no, no! Uncle and for the month of July, we have a very
1: special bit of programming we're doing. That's right. I'm Lindy Prickett, Leela's sidekick, and Newsy Paloozy producer. <laughs> and my mama. Yes, that too. So we realize we do a lot of news stories about the same topics. So we're going to enter into capsule mode this month, as in encapsulate. You know, to put stories of a similar topic together into a single place or single episode or capsule.
0: One is about a subject we love. Yes, we're talking space stories. Which we did last week. But we've also done quite a lot of stories about things we don't necessarily love, but that we uh, have
1: a... Let's say a fearful fascination with
0: yeah like creepy crawlies why do we do so many stories
1: about bugs spiders lizards and snakes Yick! <laughs> like i say sometimes we're fascinated by the things that scare us the most or freak us out <laughs> yes that would be the other topic we've covered a lot on newsy paloozy
0: yep you heard me right we cover a lot of poo news Or excrement, if you prefer.
1: (laughs) So we'll be putting together a poo capsule, too, for later this month. So let's dive deep into each one of these categories.
0: This week, it's the Creepy Crawly Capsule.
2: Eek!
0: Uh, Mama? We're recording. We're supposed to be doing the big story.
1: I know, I know. I'm just so hungry. You know how I get when I haven't eaten.
0: Oh, boy, do I ever. You get snippy and snappy.
1: Yeah, but so do you.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you get cranky and snotty. Says you snippy and snappy. Huh, ratty and catty. Batty. Bratty. Irrationally stressed. Huh, irrationally fussy. Irritable. Irrascible. Too fancy. Basically. We're talking about being hangry.
0: hangry. and we're not alone yes most dog owners know food aggression can be a problem for
1: dogs and scientists have found that monarch caterpillars turn aggressive when there isn't enough milkweed to go around who knew but get this even the humble little but very annoying fruit fly shows hanger well that explains why they're so pesky like look at your banana peel There's already one, two, three, four fruit flies buzzing around it. I know. Sorry. Let me throw that away. Only now I've taken away their food source and... They're going to get hangry? (laughs) Exactly. So say a group of scientists from the University of East Anglia and Oxford University who've teamed up for this study. So they put fruit flies, officially named Drosophila melanogaster, if you please, into different containers, all given different amounts of food at different lengths of time. They found that hangry fruit flies became angrier and more hostile towards each other when there was a longer wait between meals. Wait, how could
0: they tell this? Do they speak Drosophila melanogaster language? Were they saying bad words to each other? As if!
1: (laughs) No, they don't speak Drosophila melanogaster language yet anyway. But more interesting, these flies got physical, lunging for each other and swatting at each other with their front legs using them like swords. Not surprisingly, this gesture is called fencing behavior. Whoa. And of course, they also spend more time defending any food patches they've claimed. The hungrier they got, the more combative they became. In other words, hangry. Yep, that's not all. Curiously, the researchers also discovered that flies who had less food earlier in their life were generally less aggressive when they got older.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And I guess it was pretty easy to tell considering, did
1: you know, that fruit flies only live for 40 to 50 days on average. Ooh, look at you with that fab fact. Well, maybe that's another reason these little pests are often used for biological research in everything from disease disorders, genetics, to the evolution of life. But rest assured, in this study, the researchers said that no flies were hurt during their experiments. But they did get hangry. Hangry. A once-in-17-year wondrous natural phenomenon is about to happen. Wondrous is one word for it. Creepy might be another. No, really. Swarms of cicadas that have been underground for 17 years are about to descend upon the United States.
0: Not millions, but billions of the big-winged flying bugs. And boy, do they make an entry. One cicada might be chirpy, but a swarm is downright noisy.
1: But don't worry. They aren't dangerous for you or the fields and crops they'll descend upon. Unlike hungry locusts or grasshoppers, which are of a different order, not only do those have huge hind legs, unlike cicadas, but will chew and destroy virtually all vegetation they come across. Most cicadas only cause damage to
0: weaker tree branches when they lay their eggs, but when millions come a-calling, it's... Fascinating! Or kinda
1: ick. Well, standing by in the state of Ohio, which is likely to see some of the highest concentration of these buzzing bugs, are our correspondents, Avery and Jackson Osmer. Also known as the brother-sister duo from the Hey Black Child
0: podcast. So, what do you two think? Will this swarm be intensely fascinating or intensely ick? Good question, Leela. No doubt these
3: bugs are fascinating. They spend most of their life underground, sucking sap from the roots of trees. 17 years underground to be exact. Eating and slurping underground. Not my idea of a good life. In any day now, they are due to emerge, crawling up through holes which are about as round as a dime. Boy, you can imagine what the ground looks like with those holes. Once above ground, the cicadas like to let the world know they've arrived. So there are around three to 4,000 species of cicadas around the world. But
1: periodical cicadas
3: only emerge every 13 years or 17 years to mate. Like the ones we're expecting any day now. And did you know that
1: periodical cicadas are unique to eastern part
3: of North America, yet we're so special? Well, I believe we need to talk to our resident expert, our mother. She experienced this firsthand 17 years ago. Welcome to the podcast, Mom. Hey, Avery and Jackson and Newsy Jacuzzi listeners. Thanks for having me they were such a huge nuisance 17 years ago and i vowed to not be here one of the most fascinating things about cicadas is the all of the carcasses that are on the ground under trees you could not walk under a tree without stepping on hundreds of them sometimes thousands in the parks even more so you had to be very careful where you walked And another funky thing about them is they like to stick to you. So they'll stick to your hair and your clothes. So it's not best to have outdoor activities during their time here on Earth. Thanks, Mom. Of course, the big question is why they only come out once every 17 years. Well, it's their only defense against predators. By emerging in the millions all at once, are just too many for any predators to eat enough of them to wipe them out. Talk about power in numbers. Yep, teamwork is the dream work. And in a weird way. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing them in action. Okay, okay. Well, from behind a window, anyway. From Cincinnati, Ohio... I'm Avery Osmer. And I'm
0: Jackson Osmer. Reporting for Newsy Jacuzzi. Whoa, what a story. I wish I were there. Well,
1: maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll check in with them again, and maybe a few other correspondents in the states affected in the coming weeks to find out how uh, intense it's been. (laughs) Periodical brood ex cicadas have arrived. The noisy insects spend
0: most of their life underground, sucking sap from the roots of trees.
1: Then after 17 years... Which is now. They crawl up through holes to spend the last six weeks of their life flying around on a mission to mate. And they don't just make a racket. They make a mess. And I believe they're pretty
0: stinky too as our Maryland Correspondents, Andy and Alina Tidwell, are about to tell us. Well, Leela, the funny thing is they
4: don't have much of a smell at first, but when they shed their skins and die, they really start to stink up the place. Sometimes it smells like a dead animal was in our yard. Oh,
0: gross. I didn't realize they smelled so much, but I guess lots of dead bugs would start to stink. Alina, can you describe what they look like? When they first climb out of the ground, they are ugly brown bugs without wings. Then they climb
4: up on something tall, like tall grass or trees, and then they start breaking out of their skins. They look really white at first, and then they turn black with red eyes. Their wings are a mix of black, yellow, and clear gray. The
0: pea droplets are unbearable. Uh, wait a minute. Did you say pea droplets as in urine dropping from the cicadas? Yup. When you
4: walk under a tree, it can feel like mist falling. It's like rain, that's how bad it is. There are thousands of cicadas in just my little yard. There are so many that I have to keep my eyes peeled so I don't step on them. My dog thinks that they are the tastiest treats. We can't keep her happy inside the house. She only wants to be outside gobbling up the cicadas. I think the cicadas are really cool, but I wouldn't want to eat them. There's a chocolate-covered cicada shop not far from my home. Eating them sounds gross and disgusting. At first I wasn't so sure about the cicadas, but now I really like them. I like to hold them and snuggle them. I rock them in my hands and let them crawl on me. Sometimes they tickle me when I hold them. I think cicadas are really cool. They are really fun to hold and play with. I don't know why they aren't creepy for me. I just think they are really cool. Reporting from Silver Spring, Maryland, this is
0: Andy and Alina for Newsy Jacuzzi. Uh, well, I'm glad, Alina, you've bonded with these bugs. All I can say is that it's probably a good thing I'm far away in New Delhi. Thanks a lot,
1: you guys. Yeah, that was an awesome update. Thanks. Now warning, if you have a fear of creepy crawlies, particularly of the spider variety, you might want to give this story a miss. Yeah,
0: insects are blah, spiders are ew, while they might be big, these ones are
1: huge! Nice one, Leela. Luckily, this is where the fabulous audio-only aspect of podcasts work to an added advantage. Yeah,
0: I don't want to see these gnarly things. If you thought that one spider in your bathroom was scary, then wait till you hear
1: this story. Yes, not thousands, but millions of giant Joro spiders, which are usually found in East Asia, have invaded North Georgia petrifying residents and producing... Wait for it... spider webs as wide as 10 feet. That's like as wide as a car is long. Yeah! (laughs) Well, the people of North Georgia are wondering, will they back off or will they take over?
0: OMG, those poor people. Just think about the folks with arachnophobia. The fear
1: of spiders. Well, we've talked about another spider-related story on our 65th episode, haven't we? Yeah, the get rid of your spider fear app. But I
0: find that even scary. Poor you. What's weird about this species of spider
1: is, if they're East Asian, how do they get all the way to Georgia? (laughs) Well, luckily, we have our Georgia correspondent, Madison Smith of the All Things Madison podcast, standing by to tell us more. Oh, no. Madison,
0: tell me you've never seen these things. Please? Oh, hey, you guys.
2: I'm more than happy to say, no, I've never seen these creepy creatures. Luckily, these Joro spiders haven't made their way to Atlanta yet, but they certainly have the people in the north of the state freaked out. Not only are they about three inches long, with bright yellow and green bodies, but even their long spindly legs are black and yellow. But that's not all. As you said, their webs are intense, growing as wide as 10 feet. They're creeping up power lines and all over sidewalks, even across people's porches and patios. Thankfully, unless you're allergic to them, their venom is only a threat to their prey. But of course, what everyone wants to know is, how did they get here? Well, back in 2014, they most likely hitched a ride in a shipping container from Asia. Where they're common. And since the climate here in Georgia is similar to large parts of Japan where they thrive, well, they're feeling quite at home here and are happily multiplying. The female Doro spiders lay more than 400 eggs at a time. But it's not all bad news. Well, Doral spiders eat mosquitoes for a start, and that's always a good thing in my book. Mm -hmm. But they also eat flies and bugs known for damaging crops. So, scientists are trying to convince people that having millions of these creepy crawlies could be a good thing. But that could be a tough sell. In Atlanta, Georgia, I am Madison Smith,
0: reporting for Newsy Paloozy. Thanks for untangling this story,
1: Madison. (laughs) I'm glad these are nowhere near you. That, uh... Yeah, 400 eggs in a spider sack that no doubt blows easily with the wind. Sounds like it's only a matter of time before they start spreading across Georgia and beyond. Guess that's why they're called invasive
0: spiders. Well, you heard it first here, people. Get ready for
1: some massive cobwebs. Speaking of their webs, here's a fab fact for you. These Joro spiders, which are common to China, Taiwan, Korea, and as Madison said, love Japan, are part of a group of spiders known as the orb weavers. That's because of their highly symmetrical circular webs. Which I admit are quite cool looking. In photos. (laughs) And yes, we'll have a link to this story and pictures of these striking spiders on our Facebook page and in our transcript, which can be found on our website, newsypaloozy.com. That's... P-O-L-L-O-Z-I dot com.
0: Once upon a time, just a few days ago... Researchers from Switzerland's University of Basel developed a very helpful tool for people suffering from arachnophobia.
1: In other words, a deep and very understandable phobia or fear of spiders.
0: So this torture app, I mean wellness and training app, if you wish, lets smartphone users put virtual spiders into their real world. You know, using augmented reality. Like when Google came up with those 3D dinosaurs that appear through your phone's camera lens. So it looks like dinosaurs are in your kitchen, remember? Oh yeah. Except we all know dinosaurs no longer inhabit the Earth. But seeing an image of a real hairy, creepy spider seemingly crawling on your sofa or even your hand is bunker brains.
1: Why would anyone want to do that? Now, hold on, Leela. You just said it's not real. But it looks real. Look! (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty effective. But I think the idea is that fear of spiders or other creepy critters can limit the way people live. Like, you know, not wanting to walk into a certain area where you think they might be lurking. Like, across the patio? Anyway, research has shown one of the most effective treatments for such phobias is exposure therapy. That's when patients are guided through exposure to situations they fear in order to gradually break down that fear or phobia. No, thank you. Right, so this treatment is rarely used because people are rather reluctant to expose themselves to real spiders. But that's what makes this app, appropriately called Phobus, so great. Realistic 3D spiders are only projected onto your real world, and I believe it's proving successful. Yes, yes, the
0: researchers conducted a study with real arachnophobes. After six 30-minute sessions on the app, they showed significantly less fear and disgust than those who hadn't used the app.
1: And were even able to get closer to spiders than before.
0: Yeah, still I think it might be a while before I'm brave enough to try this myself <laughs> I prefer just jumping on your back when I need to, Mama Uh, Leela, oh, get off You'll never believe what this vibrating, or should I say, reverberating sound is
1: Uh, a haunted house? Nope A robot going into space? Try again The mind of a mother trying to block out a noisy child. Mama, I'm right (laughs) here. I'm trying to block you out, no. Um, A monkey playing the xylophone? (laughs) No, but you're getting warmer, moving into the animal kingdom.
0: This is what some researchers think a spider web sounds like. A spider? A spiders web technically what from communication to construction spider webs may offer an orchestra of information that's according to the MIT engineers behind the study huh you see there are more than 47,000 species of spiders all spin silk webs to provide housing and catch food well Experts reckon they also use the vibrations while doing so, as a way to communicate.
1: Communicate? Did not know that.
0: Marcus Bueller and his team of researchers recorded the vibrations from spiders doing different things in their webs, like constructing it, repairing it, and hunting and feeding Then they use artificial intelligence, of course, to learn these vibrational patterns and associate them
1: with certain actions, basically learning spider language. Whoa! So this music isn't exactly what a spider sounds like, but a recreation of it, right?
0: Right. They listened for patterns in the spider's signals and recreated the sounds using computers and mathematical algorithms, hoping that one day they'll understand the language of spiders. And be able to communicate with them. Totally
1: cool. If not a little creepy. What? I love spiders. You know what? I'd tell a spider if I could say something. Um, nope. Keep eating those flies and mosquitoes, folks. Good work. So this is a crazy story that starts with a teenager and a slingshot. Uh Uh-oh. Did someone get hurt? (laughs) Some thing. A tall, thin, tropical tree called the Cecropia tree. Nicknamed the Trumpetwood Tree because I got this one. It makes wooden trumpets. <laughs> You're so smart. <laughs> a variety of musical instruments, in fact, and tool handles as well. Unless there's a slingshooter around. <laughs> well, this slingshooter has inadvertently, that means accidentally, made a massive discovery about the Trumpetwood Tree and Ants. Ants,
0: those amazing little insects that can lift a thousand times their own body weight and live and work in intelligent colonies, and oh man, oh man,
1: can sting? Those are the ones. So this all started almost two years ago, when a teenager from Panama in Central America was playing around with a slingshot and accidentally shot a clay ball right through a young trumpet wood tree.
0: Wow, that's some shot, naughty boy.
1: (laughs) Well, to be fair, he was concerned for the plant and went back the next morning with his dad, who just happens to be an entomologist.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are scientists who study insects, right?
1: Correcto. Well, when they investigated the plant, they found out that the hole was now nothing but a speck. What? Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) (laughs) It had been completely patched up. Well, now they were really interested, weren't they? So they drilled small holes into several trumpet trees, tiptoed a little away, and waited. Shh! What did they see? Seven to ten of these small, sand-colored Azteca ants emerging from inside the root of the tree and soon repairing the damage. Ooh, wait.
0: Did you say emerging from inside a, um,
1: solid tree trunk? Ah, huh, yes. You see, a queen ant chews her way inside a young hollow shoot and sets up a colony. Of course, as the tree grows, the colony grows, but moves to younger branches. And did I mention that these ants also feed off the tree, too? Well, then
0: I guess it sounds to reason. They do this repair job. It's their home and food, after
1: all. I guess you're right. And that's why this is called a mutualistic relationship or interaction, because two or more species are getting something out of it. There are mutual benefits. I thought that was called symbiotic. It's a type of symbiotic relationship, but mutualism is one where there are benefits on both sides. In some symbiotic relationships, only one side benefits. Still,
0: I guess this is another thing that's really ant about ants. (laughs) Never mind playing around in the forest with a slingshot.
1: So autumn is here for us in the northern hemisphere and that means the weather is getting cooler and at last summer's pesky mosquitoes are starting to disappear.
0: In your dreams, Mama. Not for us here in India.
1: No, the monsoon really dragged on this year and the annoying pests that leave some of the most itchy bites ever are still around here. And they're more than annoying. They're deadly! That's right. The tiny little bugs transmit more diseases than any other creature on Earth, especially here in Asia and Africa, mostly by biting into the skin of someone who's sick and then spreading those germs to the next person they bite. Yik.
0: Like the dengue fever you got a few years ago. You had to go to the hospital every day for a week.
1: Yeah, that was scary. Yep, that wasn't very much fun. And your dad got chikungunya, which affects the joints. He walked like an old man for over a month. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's also malaria, which is a parasite that, according to the World Health Organization, kills over 400,000 people every year, mostly babies and infants and mostly in Africa.
0: Yeah, the U.S. has been malaria-free for a long time now
1: but not Africa or India. But there's some good news. There's a vaccine! Yes, in fact, the vaccine's been around for a few years, but now it's being rolled out to children across most of Africa. Phew! No, I wish we could just get rid of the silly bugs. Well, it's funny you should say that, because we got an email from a listener in Texas, Camden Pate, who wrote us a while back saying, I would love to listen to a podcast about the good mosquitoes and what they do to prevent more mosquitoes. Huh? There are good mosquitoes? Well, believe it or not, while there are over 3,000 species of mosquitoes, less than 100 of those species actually transmit horrible diseases diseases. Mostly, mosquitoes are an important source of food for birds, lizards, frogs, and fish. Hmm. And they also help pollinate plants, too, which keeps the life cycle of a lot of ecosystems going. Hmm. But let's not forget... They bite
0: and spread disease.
1: Well, there is some very interesting work going on in terms of breeding mosquitoes that can't breed themselves. So they can mate and have babies, but those babies don't live very long, and therefore a mosquito population can be controlled. Say what? Okay. In Singapore, they are raising male mosquitoes in a lab, then releasing them outside big apartment blocks. Those male mosquitoes have a certain bacteria in them that means when they fly off and mate with a wild female mosquito, the resulting eggs don't hatch. So then fewer mosquitoes. Clever! According to officials, some areas with high mosquito populations have seen a 90% drop using this technique. But, of course, many people are suspicious about creatures being altered in a lab and let loose in the wild. They don't think we should be playing God. Yeah, Jurassic Park. But then, on the other hand, if God gave
0: us the brains to fix the problem, God might wonder why we're not, you know... Using our brains to fix the problems.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point, actually. But I suppose one other worry is we don't really know the knock-on effect of such changes. So it's a really interesting debate. Well, I say the fewer mosquitoes, the better. (laughs) Well, it's certainly interesting that we could swap some mosquitoes rather than swap them. Well, Camden, I hope we were able to answer your question. And hey, if anyone has any topic they'd like us to discuss on Paloozy, just send us an email to contact at That's
0: P-O-O-L, as in a swimming pool,
1: <laughs> O-O-Z-I.com. Chocolate supplies could run out if we don't save the bees, bugs, and butterflies. Ah! What? This is not a tall tale, either. Scientists from the University of Cambridge have recently discovered that a decline in the number of insects, like bees, butterflies, even gnats and midges, could mean that not enough cocoa plants grow, meaning our chocolate supply could seriously be hit in the next 20 to 50 years. No! Yes, and it's not just chocolate either, but supplies of apples, soybeans, coffee, and strawberries are all under threat. In fact, bees help provide about a third of what we eat. Okay, you have got to stop scaring me. But how can fewer bees and other bugs mean less food? Well, as the best ever family-friendly science nerdy documentary series, Connected, says... Ah. Everything is connected. So it goes like this. Chocolate is made from the beans of cocoa trees, which only grow with the help of insects pollinating or spreading their seeds. Because we want more than one cocoa tree. Exactly. But insects like gnats and bees are declining.
0: Let me guess. Because of climate change, climate change.
1: (laughs) Yes. And also, the wide use of pesticides and chemicals used to kill insects, usually the ones that eat crops, but they also kill the good bugs that pollinate or spread seeds. Oh, man. Darned if you do and darned if you don't. And that's not all. As we build up areas for development... Cutting down trees and flowers, well, where do the bugs go? And my sweet, sweet chocolate! Well, let's hope that with more people becoming aware of this, of how important our creepy crawlies are, we'll begin to think about ways of saving them. Mealworms
0: may soon find their way onto European tables after becoming the first insect approved in the region as human food rich in protein fat and fiber they're actually beetle larvae, not really worms and they're already used in europe as pet food ingredients here kitty kitty have some crushed mealworms but now the decision by the european food safety agency paves the way for the yellow grubs to be used. They can be eaten whole or dried in curries and in other recipes, like as flour to make biscuits, pasta, and bread. Ew, not for me, thank you. So maybe there are some
1: upsides to not being part of the EU, eh? Oh, Leela, everybody has different tastes, and just because it's been approved for use doesn't mean it has to be used. And after all, you eat animal meat. What's the problem with worms? Hmm, that a squirmy.
0: So, Mama. So, Leela. What's worse than seeing a worm after a biting in an apple? Uh, excuse me? seen half a worm. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Well, we might find eating insects a little odd. Apparently, more and more people don't. Oh. In fact, it was almost a year ago that we reported that mealworms were the first insect to be approved by the European Union as human food.
1: Well, they are supposed to be really high in protein, fat, and fiber, and are a more sustainable option to raise than a lot of other animals. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Of course, they're actually beetle larvae. Not really worms. And they've been used in Europe as pet food ingredients for years. Mm. Here, kitty, kitty. Have some coarse mealworms. Oh, how is that?
1: (laughs) But for humans, they can be eaten whole or dried or used with flour to make biscuits, pasta, and bread. Hmm. Well, they're probably as nice to look at as shrimp and crab, so we can't really be prissy, can we? Well, news alert, news alert. (laughs) Now the European Food Safety Authority
0: is adding locusts to the list of its authorized food for sale. They'll be classified as novel food, meaning an unusual food
1: sold in frozen, dried, or powdered forms. Well, remember when the swarm of cicadas hit America's East Coast over the summer and one cafe was selling chocolate-covered cicadas? They're like locusts. Yes, I also
0: remember how a reporter's dog kept eating them up. But I'm not a dog, if
1: you couldn't realize. <laughs> Hold on. You do love truffle-flavored potato chips. And have you seen what a truffle looks like? Yes, point taken we love edible fungi despite how revolting it looks in fact just this week a huge ugly italian truffle weighing about two pounds or almost a kilogram was sold for an enormous amount of money how much A dollars what like a college education forgive fungi that's more like fund me get it so, autumn is here for us in the Northern Hemisphere, and that means the weather is getting cooler, and at last, summer's pesky mosquitoes are starting to disappear. In your dreams, Mama! Not for us here in India! No, the monsoon really dragged on this year, and the annoying pests that leave some of the most itchy bites ever are still around here. And they're more than annoying. They're deadly! That's right. The tiny little bugs transmit more diseases than any other creature on Earth, especially here in Asia and Africa, mostly by biting into the skin of someone who's sick and then spreading those germs to the next person they bite. Yick. Like the dengue fever
0: you got a few years ago. You had to go to the hospital every day for a week.
1: Yeah, that was scary. Yep, that wasn't very much fun. And your dad got chikungunya, which affects the joints. He walked like an old man for over a month. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's also malaria, which is a parasite that, according to the World Health Organization, kills over 400,000 people every year. Mostly babies and infants, and mostly in Africa.
0: Yeah, the U.S. has been malaria-free for a long time now, but not Africa or India.
1: But there's some good news. There's a vaccine! Yes, in fact, the vaccine's been around for a few years, but now it's being rolled out to children across most of Africa. Phew! No, I wish we could just get rid of the silly bugs. Well, it's funny you should say that, because we got an email from a listener in Texas, Camden Pate, who wrote us a while back saying, I would love to listen to a podcast about the good mosquitoes and what they do to prevent more mosquitoes. Huh? There are good mosquitoes? Well, believe it or not, while there are over 3,000 species of mosquitoes, less than 100 of those species actually transmit horrible diseases. Mostly, mosquitoes are an important source of food for birds, lizards, frogs, and fish. Hmm. And they also help pollinate plants, too, which keeps the life cycle of a lot of ecosystems going. Hmm. But let's not forget, they bite And spread disease. Well, there is some very interesting work going on in terms of breeding mosquitoes that can't breed themselves. So they can mate and have babies, but those babies don't live very long, and therefore a mosquito population can be controlled. Say what? Okay. In Singapore, they are raising male mosquitoes in a lab, then releasing them outside big apartment blocks. Those male mosquitoes have a certain bacteria in them that means when they fly off and mate with a wild female mosquito, the resulting eggs don't hatch. So then fewer mosquitoes... Clever. According to officials, some areas with high mosquito populations have seen a 90% drop using this technique. But, of course, many people are suspicious about creatures being altered in a lab and let loose in the wild. They don't think we should be playing God. Yeah, Jurassic Park.
0: But then, on the other hand, if God gave us the brains to fix the problem, God might wonder why we're not, you know, Using our brains to fix the
1: problems. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point, actually. But I suppose one other worry is we don't really know the knock-on effect of such changes. So it's a really interesting debate. Well, I say the fewer mosquitoes, the better. (laughs) Well, it's certainly interesting that we could swap some mosquitoes rather than swap them. Well, Camden, I hope we were able to answer your question. And hey, if anyone has any topic they'd like us to discuss on Paloozy, just send us an email to contact at Newsypaloozy.com.
0: That's P-O-O-L, as in a swimming pool, <laughs> O-O-Z-I.com.
1: All All right. They might not be your favorite kind of animals in the world... That's an understatement! And warning! You might hear Leela squeal with terror as we do the story, because she hates them. But one in five reptiles worldwide are threatened with extinction! A new study just published in the journal Nature assessed over 10,000 reptile species and found almost 2,000 are categorized as vulnerable. Endangered or critically endangered.
0: And while that might not seem bad, I mean one less lizard or snake seems okay, if you want my personal view. But nope, I don't count in the grand scheme of things.
1: <laughs> and by things, we mean the earth.
0: The environment, which kinda actually does affect me and everybody. So even though one less reptile seems fine. Losing 20% of them could change food chains and ecosystems radically.
1: Yep. And there would be knock-on effects, such as an increase in pests and insects. See, I love lizards because they eat mosquitoes. (laughs) Not just that... But biodiversity, meaning a lot of different types of plants and animals, yep, well that's crucial. And reptiles aren't just literally slithering around on the ground, but their existence underpins our ecosystem, which provides a healthy environment for us, as in people. And by the way, five fab facts that characterize reptiles, coming up, cue the music Leela. Reptiles are vertebrates, which means they have backbones. Their bodies are completely covered with scales, which means they're super ew and creepy. But their scaly skin protects them from injuries and being waterproof keeps them hydrated. Also, they're cold-blooded, meaning their body temperature varies with that of their environment. (laughs) Now the reptiles that face the greatest threat are turtles, with about 60% of their species at risk of extinction. Aw, they're the only cute ones. Next, crocodiles, with 50% of their species at risk. And contrary to what the researchers expected, reptiles in forests are a greater threat than those in dry habitats, like deserts, shrublands, and savannas.
0: That's bad, since more
1: than half of all reptile species live in forest habitats. I know. The good news is there is a clear path on how to get reptiles back. Reduce deforestation. Stop the illegal trade in reptiles. As pets, ew, and decoration for your purses and boots. Yes. And now the last one. This is interesting. Farmers should improve the way they farm become more productive so they don't have to cut down more forests to make way for more fields. Sounds simple. Eh, the problem is sometimes the most simple things are the most difficult to do. And that brings us to the end of this
0: special Newsy-Paloozy capsule. All right, then. We'll see you next week in the splishy-splashy news pool for kids. Newsy-paloozy.
1: And adults like it too.